Let's just don't worry about that right now. Let's just stay in this moment for a second. understood we, we we think today the word hope kind of like crossing our fingers i hope i win the lottery i i hope there's a snow day tomorrow it, it's a it's a, a wishing upon the future in some in some way but there's no certainty in it and and really that's a poor understanding of the word that's it's a misuse of the word the word hope actually means i have been granted information of something that has not happened yet and so my hope is in something i can declare something we have a hope in Jesus that is not a crossing of our fingers or a, man, I hope it snows tomorrow. It's a guarantee. And the hope comes through a mechanism. It, 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 there's a portal. We gain hope by, under, by, by pressing into the Word. By letting the Word do a work in our life. It's not just a book. See, it's, it's a powerful thing that, that changes who we are. And it puts us through this mechanism called hope where we no longer get to say, I want to see you. And we cross our fingers like, man, I hope this works out. God, I pray that I've done enough. My hope is, man, I don't, I'm not sure, but I have a hope. You need to know this morning in this new year that your hope is rock solid. That your hope is in a strong tower. That your hope is an impenetrable force. That your hope is in forgiveness that is absolutely and totally complete. We don't have to we don't have to hope in the sense that we cross our fingers. We don't have to pray as in there's no security in our prayer. The Lord says, I am who I said I was, and you can take that to the bank this morning. How cool is it that it's a Sunday, first day of the week, first day of the year? And here we are. All those are arbitrary things. But the Lord says that we can be made new every morning. That His love is refreshed every day. It's brand new. And so you can, too, can you be. That's, that's just the Bible. That's not me trying to impress you. So this morning what I want to do is, man, I just want to sing this again. But I don't want to hope as in, I don't want to, Lord, I want to see you. Like we're banking on it. Oh man, I hope I've done enough. I want to see you as in I know you're there and I know who you are and I know you want to see me too. I want it to be a letter of longing. I, get, I just sent a, uh, a message to a dear friend of mine. Um, he's in Ireland. You guys know him. His name is Bill. My heart's just breaking for him right now. It's just another year and he's not here. He wants to be here. I just had to say to him, man, I long for you to be with me. And that can be our cry here this morning with the Lord, that we long for Him. But our hope is not uncertain. Our hope is sure. So can we sing this again with this hope, this true sense of the word hope?
Okay, here we go. Just one more time. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. you hear our prayer? Holy, 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 I want to see you. God, I know you hear our prayer this morning. It's the new year and it's a new day. But Lord, you have forever and always will be the same. There's so much of you. You're so massive and expansive that we can explore and know and learn and receive new parts of you every day. And so God, I don't want to pray this morning for a new thing. I want to pray for more of the same thing. Double, triple portion, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Fill us up, God. We long to see you today. And Lord, our hope is that we will, because we know you're here. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. <clears throat> Very good. Um, you guys can be seated. Good morning. I'm using the handheld today because I've got the gunk, and so in case of an emergency, I can I cannot deafen all of us. So if the audio messes with you. I'm I'm sorry about that. I think you'll be better off this way. I promise. I hope everybody had a good New Year. Everyone's complaining on Facebook about 2017 or 2016 is like the worst year ever. I don't know. <laughs> Just kind of seems the same to me. Uh, 2001, all right, you got a reason to complain. World War II, all right, I get it. I don't know about 2016. Uh, uh, but I do hope that this New Year celebration was good for you and your Christmas celebration as well. i got to go home, so I haven't seen you guys. I haven't been in this church in a year. That was a bad joke. Okay. I'm excited for today. As we, um, in this new day, in this, in this new season in 2017, we are starting a new book the book of Romans. And today is going to be an introduction into this book as we introduce this new year. Today's message is called My Gospel, an introduction to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, my calling and the Lord wills my life's work is um, first as his son, 
as a caretaker for, for my wife, um, but as a teacher. We all know that the Lord has called um, the church to be cared for by not just a pastor, um, but by an array of giftings to the church to equip the body for the work of service. My, my call is to reveal and explain God's word and its wonder and its mystery and its power to God's wonderful and mysterious and powerful people. We so often find in Bible studies in our past that we would read a passage from Scripture. You guys have probably seen this before. And, and then we go around the room and we share how we feel about it. Or what the Scripture does to us. It's what I think about the Scripture. And I don't want to bash that completely. I don't think it's flawed in every sense of the word. I think that studying the Bible with the body of the believers is a beneficial thing. But I think it's more important would be more helpful for the body of Christ not to say what we think about the scripture, but let the scripture say what it thinks about us. Does that make sense? What would the scripture mean if you never existed? We look at scripture and we think, well, what it means to me through my lens and my experience and my understanding. Okay. What would scripture mean if you were never here? See, truth is truth whether we're around or not. So my prayer... Uh, really, it's been heavy on my heart for this, I don't know, probably 18 months. Alex will determine that pace. Maybe two years we go through the book of Romans. That we be studiers of the word proclaimed to us, not our interpretation of it. And then Wednesday nights as we go through Bible study and here this year as we launch our Wednesday night service, we will see a lot more teaching as a differential from preaching. Preaching is a proclamation of God's word. Teaching is an explanation of God's word. And letting the work of the word do its work in you. Not buttering it up in any way. Does that make sense? And so we pray that that, uh, that, that takes place here in 2017. It's weird to say that. Um, okay. I want to talk about not how I feel, but what he says. So here we are at the book of Romans. This is going to be the start. It's a long journey. There's a Dr. Lloyd-Jones from London. He was a pastor there for, for years in the Anglican church. And uh, he started the book of Romans. And 15 years later, he retired, getting only to chapter 15. Uh, and so uh, this, this book is immense. It's incredibly powerful. St. Augustine is recorded to have becoming coming to faith by reading the book of Romans. He writes in chapter 13 that he really received the Lord. The veil was taken away, if you will, uh, just by the power of the writing of this book. But I've got to tell you, I'm a little nervous. Though I've studied Romans for, for years, my entire Christian life, I've never had the opportunity to help and aid in leading a body of people through it. And I've been researching and reading about the powerful things that have happened to people and, and Christians um, in churches through the study of the book of Romans. The impact of this book is profound. And though I, I think I've worked through it personally, I wonder if, if you've ever worked through the book of Romans. Well, I, I guess I should say it like this. Has the book of Romans ever worked through you? Um, and are we prepared as a body to receive all that it has to offer. I would ask for you to pray as we embark on this journey together for the next two years that we would finish strong. That there would not be a, 
this is too much, let's go to another book. Let's find something shorter or something with a good story in it. Because as we'll uh, learn today, that the book of Romans is really not a letter like Paul typically writes. It's more, in my opinion, an essay, a doctrinal essay. And uh, it's not dry, uh, but it is dense. And so uh, just be praying for us, and we'll be praying for you as well, because there's been times when I've read the Bible or read the book of Romans and been kind of like, over my head. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and start it all over again. <laughs> okay, so uh, just a couple things here before uh, we, get, uh, we get going. I want to talk about the background first of this book. It's the first book in the canon of Scripture. It's... Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel. Then there's the book of Acts, which you can see is a historical timeline of the birth and development of the church through the missionary work of Peter and Paul, as well as the other apostles. Then the book of Romans picks up, but it is not Paul's first letter. It's his seventh, roughly. He's in Corinth at the time when he writes it. He's been in ministry roughly 20 years when he pins this book. So he's established in what he's doing. Written in roughly 57 to 59 AD, 16 chapters, 433 verses, 9,440 some words. And in my opinion, um, the most profound doctrinal masterpiece ever pinned by man. Really the most foundational and principle forming letter uh, of the modern church uh, is the book of Romans. It's unique to all his other letters and that, like I said, it's an essay. It's also a fundraising letter. Paul is writing to Romans to get some money out of them. He makes a brief statement, but he kind of builds up to it the whole time. <laughs> it's really kind of a funny when you, when you hear the backdrop of the, of the story. It's unique to his letters, and that in all of his other epistles, he's really writing to a church that he's been to or visited or has planted or people that he's working with, a character flaw or something he sees beneficial to the body. He's writing to specific things. And we learn the character of Christ and the life of Christ through the works of Paul by, by addressing those specific attributes to us. Does that make sense? In Corinth, he talks about sexual immorality. We can take the teaching on sexual immorality taught or received to Corinth and apply it to our life. That's how the Bible works. Applying what was said then to us because really truth is eternal. In the book of Romans, rather, he's not talking about specific things per se. It's more a big picture, doctrinal, overarching theological issues. And if I had to put it in a phrase, the book of Romans, Paul writes as an essay answering this question, what does the gospel do to man? The gospel is the good news. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But if you have received the gospel, what can you expect to happen to you? Paul takes 16 chapters to explain it. So uh, that's some of the background for you uh, here. I want you to know that the most important or pardon me, let's just go to the next one here. This is a good quote here I found from Martin Luther. He's old and awesome. Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart. I'm working on that. I think Veronica's getting close. But occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. 
Let's lay the scene here, the prologue, if you will, the, 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 the setup for this movie. Rome uh, was, was not, the church in Rome was not planted by Paul or any other apostle. It is believed, in fact, that in Acts chapter 2, when the church is birthed, there's Jews there for Pentecost. Some of those Jews that were there that received the word, in Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 people were saved, and day after day, they were adding to their number. Some of those people were in, were Romans who had gone to Jerusalem for Pentecost, received the Lord, the Lord, that was word, received the word of the Lord, and then returned back to Rome to plant this church. Now, this letter is received by the Roman church 20-some years after that planting. What's interesting is that Paul, who is a Roman citizen and a Jew, in 20 years has never visited the church in Rome, nor, like he's done to so many other churches, ever written to them at all. I just want you to imagine for a second that you are um, like me, I have a family a large family. And for Christmas, there's some people that get a little frustrated with me because I haven't visited them in a long time. For those of you that have family like that or have experienced this situation, you feel slated, maybe that may be the term for it. What are the, some of the things you start to feel? What are some of the things you start to think about that person? The Romans, thinking of Paul, first thought it's writ recorded, Maybe he just doesn't like us because we're Jews. Paul's primary mission was to the Gentiles. Gentiles, a non-Jew, who really had no relationship to God um, before Christ. So his whole life's work is to minister to Gentiles. Maybe the Roman church is saying, well, he must not think we're legit because we weren't planted by an apostle. And we're just Jewish people. Maybe he thinks we're ousted. But principally... They thought, maybe he's not coming here because he knows that we're learned. We've read the word. We know the Pentateuch, the Torah. We understand the Old Testament. We know who God is. And if he comes and preaches some half-baked explanation of the gospel, he knows that we will see right through him. So maybe he's not coming because he's a fraud. Maybe he's not coming, not because we're not legit, but because he's not legit. See, 20 years of seeing Paul, who is famous today, he is, because of the writings and the work, but he was famous back then. These massive missionary journeys, people are giving him money, he's spending time in these city, there's record and acts of people in Ephesus begging him to come. When he can't go, they go and meet him somewhere else. He had a certain level of fame as well. When Paul pins this letter, He's right at the end of his third missionary journey. He's in Corinth, and he's never been as far west as Corinth. I mean, that's as far as he's ever gone. He's never been to Rome. When he goes to visit, when he goes to write the letter to say that he wants to visit, he makes a statement here in uh, chapter 4 that we'll talk about, that he has completed the work, that the Holy Spirit has said that everything that needs to be done in Asia Minor, in the eastern part of that area, is done. Have you ever finished what God's asked you to do? Can you believe that? God's checklist for my life. I'm still working through number one. 
Every church that needed to be planted, every area that needed to be uh, dug up, every foundation that needed to be laid, he had finished it. And Paul is now setting his sights on the next task, which is Western, uh, the Western world. Ultimately, Spain. So if you can imagine, he knows there's animosity with these people. They're, they're sort of questioning him, and he hasn't been to them. And he writes this letter saying, I want to come see you. I've longed to do so. My desire is to see you, but really not to see you. I'm actually going to Spain to minister to them, but I'll come and catch you along the way. <laughs> he actually puts that in the letter. Talk about being slated. And then he says, while I'm on my way to Spain, I would, I would love it if you'd give me some money to support the ministry. <laughs> He's moving his headquarters, if you will, to that area of the country to establish more churches. And he's just saying, because you're in the way, I'll come and see you. It would seem at first that this church has every right to be frustrated with Paul. Every right to be thinking the way that they're thinking. How would you answer this challenge? Paul needs to raise money. He needs to speak to this church in Rome. He needs to st like kind of flatten the waters, level things out a little bit. Would you flatten or would you use flattery? Would you maybe pull the power card, your authority as an apostle? You're wrong. Just get a grip. Paul doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he writes the greatest theological essay ever written. He says, you're wondering who I am and the gospel I preach well, I'll explain it to you. I will tell it to you. And in doing so, I think he floors them because <laughs> he certainly has me uh, so to speak. Is that a good enough background? We have an understanding historically and of the book itself. We know where we're going. Okay. If we're going to read the, uh, if we're going to introduce Romans, I would really just like to read Paul's introduction to this book of Romans. We're not going to exposit it today by any means, but I do want to go through it because there's some key verses that I think are the overarching theme for the gospel in our life and the gospel he's proclaiming to the Roman church. Let's start in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Just note this really quickly as he, as he speaks to these people. Through whom, it's a small word there, but it's important, we He's putting himself on the same level as them. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Six, among whom you also are called of Christ Jesus to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's all one sentence. That's supposed to be funny. First, I thank my God, verse 8, through Jesus Christ for you all, because of your faith, is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God whom I serve in my spirit and the preaching of the gospel of his Son is my witness to, as to how unceasingly I make mention of you 
always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, by both yours and mine. I do not want to be unaware, you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and have prevented to do so, prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also." Even as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to the barbarians, which are non-Greek Gentiles, both to the wise and to the foolish. So, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteousness of man shall live by faith. Paul introduces this letter to the Romans, appealing to them in a myriad of ways that we won't get into today. But after this verse, he basically begins the essay. Halfway through chapter 15, he ends the essay and concludes his introduction. And then he says, can you give me some money? I'll come and see you soon. Really, this is Paul's address to Rome. He's saying, I'm going to declare to you who I am to try and put to rest any animosity that you may have felt from me over the past few years. Romans are questioning, is he for real? And he carries this theme of answering this question, am I legitimate? And he does so by doing something very interesting that we don't see anywhere else in the Word. He talks about my gospel. He says this two, sometimes people believe, even three times. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, he's speaking about the Christian work. What's, what's it look like? And he says, on the day when according to my gospel, everybody say my gospel. God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. Again, in Romans 16, 25, he says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past. Paul speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ as if it's his own. Over the Christmas holiday, people got gifts. I hope so. When you received the gift, is it become, does it become yours? It does, right? The gospel is a Greek word. It means... Uh, the gospel means a reward, a good reward for my doing. Uh, the big picture here would be something like this. Your husband or wife walks in the door, puts down her briefcase or bag or whatever, and steps in and says, I got a raise. That is the gospel. That's, I'm proclaiming something good that happened on account of my work. Now, we have no work in regard to the gospel. Who's, whose gospel are we speaking of? Jesus's. 
Christ Jesus has done a work, a perfect work, and we are beneficiaries of that work, adopted into him. Does that make sense? So it is our good news. We come through the door and we say, we have good news. Paul refers to his good news as his. He's saying to the Romans, you don't know what kind of gospel I preach. Well, let me tell you about my gospel. Let me tell you what my gospel does. The Greek word for gospel is euangelion, or word for good tidings, or good news. You don't think we preach the good gospel, or the same gospel, Paul says? Okay, let's compare. He asks them at the end, what gospel do you have? His letter to the Romans, I'll put this down, I think this is powerful, declares, describes, and denotes what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for the receiving heart. The book of Romans declares what it does, it describes how it works, and it denotes, Paul lives it out. He's an example of what the effect of the gospel happens. When I walk through the mechanism of the gospel, what do I look like when I get on the other side? What happens when the book of Romans works through me? According to Paul, the Holy Spirit does the same work in every heart. He may do it in different ways, but the same work occurs in every heart that receives him. So the question we are forced to ask is what kind of gospel do you have? What is the gospel that you proclaim to be your saving grace? The Bible says that only the holy will see God. In Hebrews. It also declares that there will be many men who spend their life claiming the name of Jesus Christ. Watch this. It says that they will even heal people, performing miracles and wonders, raising people from the dead. For whatever reason, in like Christian circles today, if you raise somebody from the dead, you are the man. <laughs> I'm, holding, I'm holding the hand of a dying man yesterday. I'm thinking to myself, if I do this funeral and I raise this guy from the dead, I, the news will come. I'd be ushered into stardom and to repent of that thought. It says that those people who spend their life claiming Jesus, performing miracles, raising people from the dead, will stand before God at the end of their life, naked and completely exposed, the most vulnerable they've ever been. Their body will be thrown on the heap with the rest of the sinful junk, and their spirit, the who they truly are, will stand before God, and he will say to them, I never knew you. What kind of gospel do you have? Because if the same thing that are happening through the gospel of Paul are not happening to you, it forces us. The word of God cuts us open. It does heart surgery on each of us. It forces us to take a look at who we are and what we actually believe in. This is not to demean us down. This is not to scare anybody in the new year. But as a, as a minister of the gospel and a person charged to take care of other people, I would be a, a, a poor uh, caretaker if I didn't ask, are you sure you believe in the whole of Jesus Christ? Yeah. 
This journey over the next two years is going to pick that question apart. And if you are willing to embark through Alex's teaching and occasionally bearing my own, when we get to the end of the book of Romans, just like the Romans did in their church in 59 or so AD, they will know the true depth of the doctrine, okay, of the, of the theology, of the observation of what God does to a man. And my prayer is that along the way, the same things that are happening in the book of Romans, Paul is describing, start happening to us. Start happening in our children's ministry. Start happening in our families. Start happening amongst our co-workers. Start happening in our community. Gospel is defined in the book of Romans as an organism, essentially, that it doesn't grow mechanically, it doesn't grow through a plan, it grows organically. It grows through nourishment, it develops, it becomes a mature thing. It has a beginning stage, it has a sensitive stage, it has a strong stage, it has a finishing stage, it grows up. My prayer through this study is that the gospel of Jesus Christ would grow in you. This morning I received a word that said, Jared confirmed it, that this is the year of the sword. But it's dangerous. The sword is a dangerous thing. The only people that should be fit to use the sword are those who have mastered it. And this man, Bill, said this this morning, the only way we'll know the sword is to know the armor. I pray that if you want to embark on this journey with us as a community here at ESIS, that we would not only learn some facts about the book of Romans and have some cool things to put on Hallmark cards, but that in fact we would know in the true depths of who we are, who he is, the sword we've been given, and how to use it on the world. And I think first and foremost, the way that you <laughs> let a sword work on, on the world is you have to let it work on you first. A dear friend of mine says that a knife is not truly yours until you've been cut by it. <laughs> and I pray that the sword this year cuts us wide open. We have to ask the question, what gospel do I have? We'll let the worship team come up here for, for just a second. There's another scripture here, and this is not to meant to scare you. This is just the truth. And the, and the truth, though uh, nerve-wracking sometimes, hard to hear at sometimes, is always good. The truth is always good. Acts chapter 19 has a great story that I think applies to this my gospel message. It says this, some of the Jews who went around uh, driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus, sorry, the Lord Jesus, over those who were demon-possessed, they would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I'd be more than worried about the naked part. Blood, I can deal with. <laughs> but for the rest of the world's sake, 
Let's not do that. I share these stories with you, and we're going to talk about the power or the, the, the truth that kind of burns in our flesh a little bit, because we need to get on the same playing field. I've been going through a season of my life of becoming a learner. My prayer this morning is those who feel like they cannot learn, the humbled, the broken, man, you need to be encouraged. There's a gospel that you can have, and it is yours, and it will affect you the same way it affected Paul, the same way that it affected uh, the church at Rome. It will produce the same reward in heaven. But those of you that think you've been around for a while, man, I've learned this, I've heard this message before, I know some stuff about Romans. I pray that you bring brought down to that learning stage again. That we would be willing to let God take an account of who we are and not pile up all the evidence and all the things we think we know about him. And I pray that when we level this playing field, that as we all kind of come open-handed, man, I don't know. And today I can learn something new. Today God can take an appraisal of me that will change my life. I'm going to allow him to do so. The receiving heart. I pray that we become a church then that has received the gospel and it's working through us. I'm not here to question your salvation. I'm not here to determine whether or not you're a Christian. I'm asking you to open your heart and become a learner of what God's infinite knowledge wants to give to us. Does that make sense? We're going to jump into a time of worship here. I want to, uh, to uh, get ready for our offering, if we can do that. But as we begin to, to worship, and before we take up our offering, during this time, if you would, in prayer, I would like the Lord to let you take, would like you to let the Lord take an account of where you're at spiritually. Would you let the Lord take an appraisal of what you have to learn? Would you let the Lord give you confidence of your gospel being the same as his? Can we do that? Okay, let's bring up our offering. Just real quick, you guys can stand to your feet. Lord, we just pray um, for this offering that it be given not to this church but unto you, Lord. That those who give freely, give, give abundantly, give without oppression, or give by your permission only. Lord, we just thank you for the way you take care of us in so many ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
simple truth is that truth sets us free. There's no freedom outside of truth. You're in bondage at some level. And the only truth comes from Christ Jesus alone. And the truth is that we can receive Him. We can receive Him like we receive a Christmas gift. It becomes ours. We become His and He becomes ours. So my question is, if there's anybody in here who knows, not, not as worried, but who knows, they have not received Him. They've been tiptoeing around the truth. They think they have some facts that are true. I don't know. Have you received the truth, the eternal truth that is the Christ Jesus alone? If there's anybody in here that hasn't done that, I want you to know today you can. You can just receive it. It can become yours like the PlayStation or whatever you got for Christmas. No takes backsies. It's not a condition of a prayer. It's not a condition of a filling out a document. It's a receiving here in your heart, you know, in my spirit, in the deepest part of who I am. I receive that the truth of God has to be mine because that's the life I want to live. And in do so, you have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was. It's the only way. It's not a wide path. It's a narrow path. In fact, it's a singular path. If there's anybody in here that wants to receive Jesus, all you should do is just raise your hand. I'm not going to force you to raise your hand, but if there be anybody in here that just wants, man, you just need to make a commitment in this new year. The gospel that I have and the gospel that he's given, man, I don't know if I've been lining them up. And I'm going to say today is not the new beginning because it's a new year. It's a new beginning because of who he is. You want to receive that, man, just in your heart, you can do that right now. We can start over again today. pray this morning that the that the Lord his peace would reign in your heart it would become the king of who you are that there's no fear in forgiveness and there's no limits in the truth we have there's freedom in it I pray that you would receive that and to begin to live out of it I pray also that you begin to learn how to wield your sword that you would learn the armor that the Lord has been given you learn that what you're wrapped up in what you're surrounded by and namely what is inside of you we pray for these things through the one and only way a man who is a God and a king and his name is Jesus we thank you Lord amen and amen let's sing this song and you can be dismissed have a good week of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Shining in the light of your glory, the 